Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Although they're lucky to get that loose ball, Gibbs with the thrust. Robert Jones, nicely out to Emir Lewis. Emir Lewis is shifting up, goes Yayan Evans. Yayan Evans is away. Can the cap, Welsh captain make it? He's going to do it. And it's a try for Wales. And the Welsh captain has scored his eighth and his 33rd Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. There may have been no international rugby this weekend but there is no shortage of talking points. Of course, this episode, we're going to be getting stuck into England versus Wales or Wales versus England that takes place next weekend with a potential triple crown on the line for Wales. We'll get stuck into that in the second half, but first we're going to concentrate on club rugby and uh, in particular on the, the Pro 14, which was something of a, well, I don't know, not, perhaps not the easiest rugby on the eye and we'll be getting to grips with that during this show. But there's also been a very interesting development with regards to uh, a potential uh, a potential new side joining the pro whatever we'll be up to now, 16, uh, in the form of the Jaguars, potentially to be based out of Bilbao, a story that uh, was broken by our good mate Steph. And I'm delighted to say that Steph joins us on this show. How are you doing, Steph? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, I mean, this is a this is a really really interesting story. Um, certainly one that that grabs uh, that grabs the attention. Perhaps you can just start by explaining a, li- a few of the details for the listeners. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's as as the article said, really, and it just came to my attention that um, you know, as as you do as a journalist, you you dig for stories, and um, yeah, I had it confirmed by five separate sources that. Um, the Argentinian Rugby Union had put in a bid um, or an application then I had you know sort of initial talks with the Pro 14 or Pro 16 to to join in the future and, and that's all it is I think at the moment um, and to potentially um, base a team in, in Bilbao in, in Spain um, so yeah as it stands um, my understanding is that it's um, it's just initial talks. Um, 
but you know the Haguares did well in Super Rugby. They reached the final um, two years ago. Um, only just now really losing to the Crusaders. Um, you know they were regularly beating New Zealand sides um, and, and, and obviously South African and Australian sides. So um, it's a shame really to see them uh, homeless. So um, yeah, um, obviously they're they're keen to have a domestic team uh, playing in in the Northern Hemisphere because there's no room in the Southern Hemisphere at the moment, is there? Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. Just initial talks, but you know that my understanding is you know, it's a big if um, in terms of it happening. But yeah, um, I had it confirmed by five separate sources that um, you know that the, the they had had talks. And I mean, it would make sense of all the of all the Northern Hemisphere leagues that the pro the pro sixteen would be the home for them, given its desire to expand. And you know, obviously. From the Celtic League to the Italian teams, through to through to the South Africans, it is something of a. There's obviously a desire to grow it globally, slash a desire to explore any revenue streams that are out there. I would say. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know, you, after every World Cup, when when a uh, you know uh, maybe um, an emerging nation uh, performs well, there's always um, the debate of what to do with them, how to how to improve them. Um, obviously, Argentina have been at the top table um, in terms of competing in test matches for for decades. But, you know, it was seen as a big step forward having the Haguaris in, in Super Rugby. Um, some would say that it weakened the national team in a way because they only had one team. It was basically the national team and they were rotating every week. But you look at Japan, um, you can see how they could develop because there's so much money in J- Japanese rugby. They could have their own professional league. They don't really... They don't really need the Sunwolves and Super Rugby. I think the best way forward for them would be um, them playing, um, you know, uh, in their own league and obviously getting um, imports in of high calibre. But with Argentina, you just don't know where to put them. There isn't the economy that Japan have got, for example. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you do. I know that it hasn't stopped them pre-Super Rugby being competitive in World Cups and stuff. But you do feel that they need some sort of domestic presence. Um, whether it benefits the Pro 16, I personally don't think it would, um, apart from financially, if it helped in that regard. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can see any emerging nation that wants to get on, onto the top table of rugby is going to look at the Pro 16 now and say, oh, well, South Africa are in there from the Southern Hemisphere. Italy are in there. Could be an Argentinian team. We'll have a bit of that. So um, I don't particularly think it's good for uh, I don't think it's what the the Welsh um, uh, regional fans want, but you know, I suppose because the the door isn't open to England at the moment, that it's the economic reality that they um, they have to go to the highest bid in terms of who enters the league. So um, yeah, there's I think there's a lot of um, a long way to go, but um, I think you'd expect to get more expansion in the in the Pro 16. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned there it's fascinating, but. Is that something you could realistically see happening across the rest of Europe and other emerging nations that they will be, you know, is that something we could be seeing in, in future seasons? I think when you look at um, professional rugby now, I mean, we're in the age of private equity or we're, we're entering the age of private equity. Obviously, CVC are the obvious ones in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, you know, there are a few getting involved as well in the Southern Hemisphere with the All Blacks especially. Um <clears throat> so times are times are changing and CVC aren't in rugby. I think I've said on this probably for, for the from the goodness of their own heart, they're doing it um you know to, to 
to make a profit in the long run. And if the Haguara is being based in Spain, brings in extra television revenue and opens a new, um, you know, th- hundreds of thousands of new spectators to the game, then they're going to push for that, aren't they? Um, and, and I I think that is probably going to happen. There's going to be a lot of expansion because um, you look at what they did in in, in other sports. Um, they, they really expanded. And what they did, they, they brought different competitions together. So I think over time, you probably, over the next decade, you probably see the Galga Premiership move closer towards the Pro 14 or Pro 16, and then you'll have some sort of Super Bowl-style competition. Um, that's that's my guess in the long run. You look at the top 14 in France, that's three professional leagues, so they're safe. But I don't think English rugby is as strong as it thinks it is, stronger than uh, than the Celtic Nations, of course. But uh, you look with the ring, they wouldn't be having the argument of ring fencing if it was that strong. So um, I think over the next decade, they'll be... Uh, probably an amalgamation of both countries, uh, sorry, of both leagues, and um, we, we will see further expansion. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it all comes down to the overall quality of the product, because I think that if you're CBC, you, you wouldn't get involved with something like the Pro 14 or indeed Premiership Rugby if there wasn't a big, big payoff at the end of it. And that's the thing is I think, yeah, you know, it's the Pro 14 had to take that deal with South Africa because they just, they needed money coming in. Uh, and it's, you know, it has worked to that extent. I could see why they would be looking to to push for uh, for something that might involve the Caguaros because, again, it's a, it's another bit of revenue. But from this being driven by CVC, that's, that's the interesting part for me because, you know, in the long run, it's got to be something that's really appealing. You know, you look at what they did in F1 and they took an incredibly established product and just went, right, we're going to take it to Bahrain, we're going to take it to Qatar, we're going to take it to all these... Uh, all these countries uh, that have huge amounts of money to throw at the sport. And then by doing that, we're going to be able to flog it. Uh, and we're going to put it all behind paywall TV. And again, you know, it, with an established brand like Formula One, you can kind of do that with something like the, particularly the Pro 14. It's hard to imagine where that big paycheck is going to come from, unless, as you say, there is an end game that involves uh, a much more interesting competition and that for me has always been the thing and I know we've, we've spoken before about the British and Irish League and to a certain extent you know I think that's something that that Welsh fans would really enjoy because it just it feels like a much more meaningful competition but for me that it, it would take something like that to really command a, a big paycheck because it needs to be something that's that's identifiable it's easy to understand that for the kind of casual rugby fans who might watch the Six Nations but don't watch club rugby, you've got to be able to pull them in. Something like the Pro 14 is simply not going to do that in its current guise or indeed its guise of inviting in um, Chaguares, a Georgian side, a Romanian side, whatever it might be. I think there's just this lack of identity at the moment. And and for me, that's going to be the the thing that uh, the CVC will, will have to address in order to command a big paycheck. But that's just my thought. I couldn't agree more with you, Jed. I think um, the Pro 14, I've probably ranted on this pod in the past on numerous occasions. Uh, I'm bored, your listeners, but you know, I don't think the Pro 14 is a particularly great product. There's some great teams in the league. You know, Leinster, one of the best um, club or provincial teams in the world, and Munster, Ulster, a very good team, very good teams as well. Um, you know, I, I think there's a number of issues with it. I think. Um, the biggest issue the Pro 14 has got is that it's a union-run competition for the benefit of international rugby. Irish provincial fans would hit back at me and say, well, if Wales want to 
complain about the Pro 14 then get better because our third string teams beat your, you know, sometimes your first string teams regularly. And that's a fair point. But ultimately, if you're a paying punter, you want to see the best players play week in, week out. You want the be all and end all when you buy a season ticket to be the domestic league. You don't want you don't want or oh, whether so and so should play thirty minutes or twenty minutes to get him fit to play England next week. To, to enter the equation, when you buy a ticket to watch a certain event in any sport, you want it to be for the here and now for this game I'm going to see. And in the Pro 16 is or Pro 14 then whatever it is. I'm losing <laughs> losing track of that. Um, you know the, the, there's. There's too much emphasis on, on everything else. Or we lose it as a building block for Europe, or we lose it as as a building block for Test rugby. And of course, you know, you you know, it, it's a good breeding run for Test rugby, absolutely. But it's been devalued. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not respected enough by the unions, or quite frankly, some of the clubs playing in it. I think that's a big issue. And then you you add the South African teams, and no disrespect to the Kings and the Cheetahs, they weren't great teams. If we're being honest, they were. Um, kicked out to Super Rugby, and they didn't have anywhere else to go. But these teams coming in are serious teams, so that that's great. That they'll help the quality. But p- from a Welsh perspective, you just speak to supporters, and they want what they want is they they want games where there's tribalism that means something at the moment. Apart from if you made the you know the playoffs, like when the Scarlets won it, which is great. At the moment, the only games you get that those in is, are the derbies. But they want to be able to play Bath, Gloucester, Leicester, etc., where they can go back and forth on a day for the match day experience. And that you don't get down the Pro 14. There's no outside the derbies or, or the playoffs at best. There's no travelling fans. You're playing in an Anglo Welsh League or a BNI League. Your crowds will go up about an average of 2,000 probably overnight with, with um, travelling supporters come in. Uh, and I just think that the, the Pro 14 isn't. It isn't a respected brand, if we're being honest. The the standard of officiating is appalling as well, as we, we saw last night in the in the Cardiff game. Um, I don't like criticizing refs because I couldn't do any better, but it needs it needs calling out because it's terrible. Um and I just think that CVC, if they if they're serious about improving this league, the first thing they need to do is they need to put respect into it. They need to make it worth worth winning almost. Um, you know, I don't care. You know, if you if you're an Osprey season ticket holder, for example, or a Scarlet or a Blue season ticket holder, you don't care whether you know this player shouldn't play because he could get injured and won't play for Wales next week. It's rubbish. You're not paying to watch Wales. You're playing to watch Cardiff Blues. You're playing to watch the Ospreys, and that needs to change from CVC. And I I am enthused or a bit encouraged by the changes supposed to come in next year. There's not going to be the plan is not to have more than two weekends in an international window. Yeah. It's not far enough, in my opinion, but I think that's that's a good start. Um, but it still doesn't solve the fact that, you know, we should be playing. Um, the English don't need us at the moment, but you, you go back, start of uh, professional rugby, we turned down a few positions in a uh, few places in, the, in an Anglo-Welsh league. If we take worst decision in the history of Welsh rugby, mm-hmm. we've taken that, we wouldn't have had this regional nonsense and, We've been a better place on and off the field. Um, and and the goal, people say the English don't want us, but if you're the professional rugby board, your goal is, should 100% be what do we have to do to make the English let us into their league? You know, and because you've got to give your customers what they want and what they want, right? And I, I 100% certain if they went into an Anglo-Welsh, fans would come back as well. 
that should be the target. Anglo-Welsh is dead. B&I League shouldn't be dead. So I think that's what they should try and do. They, they need to they need to push for that, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm keen to I'm keen to carry on building on this one because we had a, a message sent in. We've, we've kind of started to address this. This one was from uh, John Clement-Jones. It says, how can the Pro 14 be a higher quality and more competitive league? Will the South African clubs help increase competition where it leads to, to more one-sided games similar to the to the Irish uh, provinces and I, I think that, that this is the whole point and you, you mentioned some really interesting stuff there Steph but for me I might have used this analogy before but imagine the Premier League you know the again it, it, it has its flaws don't get me wrong but in terms of a globally recognized brand which is what CBC would bite your arm off to turn it into something vaguely you know to, to be a percentage of the of the brand, yet alone the money that the Premier League drives. But I mean, could you ever imagine a situation where you've just got dead rubber after dead rubber after dead rubber, and saying, "Oh, you know, uh, Pep Guardiola saying, well, I can't pick Raheem Sterling because uh, because he's only you know he's only going to have twenty minutes. He can only have twenty minutes off the bench, or you know, I, I've got to play John Stones because he's just come back from England and Gareth Southgate's been on the been on the blower to me. You know, it, it is absolute madness, and I think it's something that uh, that you're right. You know, next year, yeah, that will be an improvement if there's a couple of games which don't interfere with with international weekends, but. We're tinkering with with tiny little things, you know what I mean? It's the old arranging deck chairs as the Titanic goes down. It's it's that kind of stuff. I mean, this this league is appalling. Like you've got, you're right. You've got some great sides in the Irish teams, and you've potentially got some very good sides coming in in the South African teams. And then you've got you've got sides that just are, are not able to even get close to them. And they're they're better funded, and that's you know that's fine. That's the that's the Irish Union's prerogative in the way that it's that it's done at the moment. But no one, surely, no one wants to see this amount of one-sided games. And yes, it is up to Wales to get better. But it's also if if the league from a, putting that that commercial hat on, if the league is ever going to be successful, it can't just be that Leinster pick their third string every week, wallop everyone, and then put out their put out their their A string for the uh, for the playoffs and win it. You know, it, because that's it's, it's boring. You know, even Ulster's Ulster's first choice team or Munster's first choice team probably can't get close to Leinster. They don't lose games, not just because they're amazing, and they are amazing. They're a brilliant side, squad packed full of quality from top to bottom, and you know, in, uh, you like you say their their fourths would be would beat the Dragons and Treviso and uh, and other sides. But it's just it cannot be good for a competition if they're able to counter it with right the way through to the playoffs and and then and then wheel them out. It's just that is not gonna. That's not the kind of thing that's gonna that's gonna encourage um, a large amount of money or indeed a large amount of fans to come into this sport. Yeah, absolutely. And it's no no criticism of Leinster at all. I think yeah. they they're a phenomenal side, and it's credit to them. The academy system is. Um, is remarkable. I was actually interviewed Rob McBride. I think it was back in September, and he was just saying that the, the private school system mm. is just, oh, it's just out of this world. Um, but I think in terms of um, a British and Irish league, then, um, which is the the sort of dream for Welsh supporters, I think one of the biggest hurdles against the British and Irish league is that. The Irish provinces would not accept a salary cap. Um, I'm not going to name my sources, but they're pretty well placed, you know, exceptionally well placed. And um, I was told that Leinster have a playing budget significantly higher 
than every single side in England mm. um, and half the top 14. <laughs> so, um, you know, work that one out. Um, you know, Munsters and Ulsters is high as well. Admittedly, the Scarless is 8.1 million, so that's pretty decent as well. Although they, they lose all their players to Wales, that's, that's the problem. But um, that, you, you, the problem with the Pro 14 as well, as, as you said, is a lot of people confuse the league with the teams in it. They think, oh, Leinster won European Cup, Munster won European Cup, Ulster won it, you know, back in 99, but they have won it. And all the Irish provinces are competitive, so they assume that the league is good. But on a week-to-week basis, it's it's not a good league. It's, it's not, is it? Let's oh, be yeah, honest. It's, it's, um, it's gross. I mean, but to, to illustrate that... <laughs> This uh, this question made me uh, made me chuckle. It's from Gary Mason, who I know listen, listens every week. So I've seen some rubbish games in my time, but surely the Ospreys game last night would make anyone's top five. What's the worst game you've watched? And do you know what? It made me laugh because I thought I don't even know if that's the worst game of the weekend. It was terrible, but I don't know if it was worse than the Dragons. Like it was, you know, at least at least there was the odd glimpse of quality in the Ospreys game. It's um, but every week we're you know we're yeah. and again. We've said this before, right? That's not a criticism of, of Dean Ryan or the Dragons players and stuff because it is what it is. You've got, you've got such a gulf in terms of... Um, in terms of, And it's not just down to funding, right? I, I get that, but, but it's, a big part. it's going to be a big part of it. Um, and, what, and what it means is, yeah, you, you just end up with a league that is, um, that is so... Uh, unbalanced. Unbalanced. There's, yeah. there's, there's way too many... Um, there's, there's way too many one-sided games... And something else that that I, that I find interesting. This is a bit of a tangent, but lots of people saying, you know, because again in um, Super Rugby this weekend they trialed a law variation, didn't they? Where you have you can have you can bring a different player back on after twenty minutes with regards to a red card. And if I'm honest, one of the one of the things that I've quite enjoyed about not enjoyed, but one of the byproducts of, of the red cards is it can even up an incredibly one-sided game because if someone you know a, a rush of blood to the head can affect anyone and again that's one of the things that football has you know has always had over rugby is you get upsets you know even if man city walk the league right they they can lose to they can lose to sheffield united uh just because they defended their heart out and they snuck a goal at a um off a corner right you very rarely get that in rugby because it's such a you know such a a territory um orientated game and sides are so well drilled that invariably the you know the the cream kind of rises to the top and actually just having that bit of you know having that bit of jeopardy if someone gets sent off as well as protecting the players which is the main reason it's there I if I'm honest I found it more exciting I'm not just saying that because Wales have benefited but I don't know to me I don't get I don't get the argument of well let's bring someone like this if he's a red card or it's a yellow card it's not I don't see this halfway house thing you know, if you, if it's ruined the game because someone's done a daft challenge and it's a red, then you know, uh, then that's it. You know that you, you just have to. It has to be clear cut to me. Yeah, I agree, and I also think in terms of the red card situation, it's um, it's a team game, isn't it? So if, you know, if you're defending and one player misses a tackle, and you concede a try and you lose the game, it's, it's a team game. It's the same. You know, if Xander Ferguson decides to lose his head, uh, and I and I think it's. Um, it's an absolute disgrace that um, Scott Rugby Union are appealing that. And I thought, um, even though it was after the game, and it was really so, I thought Hamish Watson's comments were in very poor taste because, you know, has he not been watching the, um, has he not been reading the press recently with with former players who were, you know, one of them said that he might be 
in a in a care home in ten years because of dementia. I think those comments are just unhelpful, and so I think it's ridiculous that they're um, they're appealing that. It was a clear red card, and if it, my point is, if Sander Ferguson wants to, or Peter Armani wants to lose his head and do something stupid, then that's the whole point of rugby. The whole team suffers. So I, I don't, I think, it, I don't think it's the right thing to be able to bring someone else on. I think if someone has a red card, they have a red card, and the team suffers because it's a team sport, isn't it? Um, that's my thoughts. Yeah, and again, just just really quickly on that, you know, I, I did feel some empathy uh, for Ferguson at the time because I can see how you you know there is a, a moment where you go, I've got to clean him out, and you've committed, and you've gone in, and it's not built out of malice, but the you know the laws now are very clear cut that that's a red card, and it's very different to the Omani one because Omani's was reckless. It was you know it was a real cheap shot, which you know we discussed this at Christmas. He's prone to, um, and uh, you know the the one with uh, with Jake Ball around uh, around Christmas time, and you know that that was that was disgraceful and as clear a red as you'll see, um, but at the same time it's just like you know we now know we know what the the laws are and you see it and again we got used to this during Rugby World Cup if a shoulder makes contact with a head, it's a red and it's your responsibility as a tackler to to make sure that that doesn't happen and I think that you know we've we now know that as fans you watch a game. And everyone knows, oh, that that was it to the head. It's you know, it's got to go. And again, I think you know we're at that position with uh, with rocks and clearing out now. And so yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I think it's a lot more clear cut than than it was. And yeah, for me, it's yeah, you you uh, you do something that deserves a red card. It's a red card. If it's not, it's a yellow. You know, it's it's as simple as that for me. Yeah, but, absolutely. I think I think the, the biggest farce is though that Ferguson. Um, had a bigger a bigger ban than um, Peter Romani, who's got form. And but that's the thing. That's the other thing over the Pro 14, isn't it? There's so many inconsistencies in terms of the um, the disciplinary process. I mean, if Romani was playing in the Premiership, well, he'd miss half the season being suspended, wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the way he enters rucks. There was that one against the Scarlets, and I think it was September on Jake Ball, which is a clear red card. Ref decided to ignore it. If I was in the Premiership, it's a red card, month ban. A three-week ban, maybe minimum. So, um, I think I think that was that was wrong because, um, as you said, Ferguson, um, uh, you know, he mistimed it. It wasn't wasn't malice like Omani, but ultimately, laws are there. The laws are correct. They, I hate I hate doing people say the game's gone soft. The laws are one hundred percent correct. Okay, absolutely you, correct. You you can't say you can't say the game's gone soft. Like I, I think it's just you know we're dealing with dinosaur opinions when people say that the evidence, the evidence is, is there, right. That the, there is a generation of player who didn't have protection. And again, this will, you know, that will come down to the, to the courts to decide whether there was things that could have been done more by the governing bodies and by the, and by world rugby, et cetera. But right now we know that that's why these laws are in place. It's not, it's not to stop, you know, it's not like, it's not like there's a bit of fisticuffs and someone's, you know, giving someone a little slap and and then and then it's it's developed into a into a red. Which, you know, we're talking about serious collisions to the head. If someone's, you know, if a twenty stone player hits someone in the head with their shoulder, that is going to cause damage. And uh, and and they're the things that it's, that it's there to protect. And yeah, we're going to go through a period of adjustment where we have to get we have to get used to it. And um, yeah, the, the whole game's gone soft thing is just. Uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't cut it with me, and um, and yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't know. For me, it's it's just one of those those really outdated things that um, 
that's just a, a complete non-starter. You, 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 could ne- you can't say that to, to players who are out there putting their bodies on the line. Uh, no, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's a ridiculous argument. And as you said, the evidence is out there. And um, I think it's just borderline offensive, isn't it, to say that mm. when you consider what, what some players have, have put themselves through and their families through. Look at Alex Popham, um, Steve Thompson. I remember a story about Sean Tain Hartfield, former England international and, and, and uh, New Zealand rugby league player. And I think he was playing for Montpellier. And he, I think he made the claim that uh, you know the, the French didn't take concussion as seriously as the English. Hopefully that's changed now. Pretty sure it has. But um, I think he, he said he was, you know, he, a good few times he had his credit and debit card um, that the machine swallowed it because he just forgot his, his pin because, and that was the effect of concussion. So things like that, it just changes somebody's quality of life. So when you see people complaining against these red cards, uh, you know, and, and a lot of ex-players as well, you know, I think they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, yeah, I, I just think... Um, you know, we need to grow up and we need to listen to the medical experts who say that um, the game's gone too dangerous in, in terms of the collision to the head and that um, strict sanctions should be there um, or stricter sanctions, you could argue, should be in place to to punish players who, who break the law and um, and obviously the players who get concussed, they, they need to need to be looked after. So um, I think we just, we just got to follow the, the medical science on this one. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We're going to take one more question with regards to, to club rugby before we have a break and turn attentions to the to the Wales-England game. Uh, this one is from John Phillips. It says, why are the region so poor at recruiting players that, uh, are, that aren't going to disappear for international duty for most of the season? Uh, so it kind of cites the example of Stephen Myler going to the Ospreys uh, as, a, you know, as, a, as a good signing. Um I mean, we've spoken about this before, Steph. Obviously, your side, your side Scarlets, we've we've kind of praised a number of times in the past for uncovering kind of uh, yeah, these very, very good squad players who perhaps aren't going to blow a huge chunk in your wage bill, but are, are going to do a very good job for you throughout the course of the season. Um, is it just a question of the regions are not as well resourced, so you can't afford to have that as much quality in depth, or is there does there need to be better quality recruitment done across the board? Well, firstly, I think he's absolutely right. I think Stephen Myler's been a, a fantastic signing for the Ospreys, um, but yeah, I, I think you know, I, I, and obviously when when you just use the excuse money, I understand it seems a bit simplistic, but you just can't get away from the fact that they're under-resourced in comparison to their rivals in this league, the you know the the Irish provinces in, in particular, and obviously there's only two Scottish teams, so you know there, there's more emphasis on them from the Scottish rugby union. Although they they lose a, they've lost a lot of players to England recently, but Scarless, as you mentioned the Scarless who recruited in the past better than the other regions. Their their wage bill is far higher; it's in the eight million pound mark. Um, but I think to answer his questions, money is a big, big reason. You know, if you have more money, you have better coaches, you have better players, you have better squad, etc. Just common sense, obviously. But the, there's, it's deeper than that as well. I think the way the WIU have structured rugby in this country, you know, going back to my previous point, the problem with the Pro 14 in terms of not getting crowds and lack of interest is that it's, it's a league made for the purposes of international rugby, not the club itself. So that if you look at the Scarlets, I say they got a budget of £8.1 million. Some of that, you know, they've done well off the field. They operated a profit, small profit uh, last year. 
they've got some really good benefactors, but ultimately most of their money will come from the union for the who pay them for the services of their players. So that's their outside ticket sales and TV and stuff, which goes through the union, which is wrong in my opinion. But outside of that, the way the, the clubs, I don't like the word regions because they're not, the way the clubs make their money is by providing players to Wales and then the IU don't fund them. The, the, the word funding is wrong. They loan these players, they rent these players, they pay money for these players. So if the Scarlets have, I haven't got the number at the top of my head at the moment, but they've got more players in the Welsh squad. They lose most of their squad for a lot of the season, especially in a World Cup year and because of COVID and bubbles, the COVID bubbles are stricter and stuff at the moment. Um, you know, obviously they're getting more money so they can get better squad players, but they're losing their best players as well. So the more players you produce for Wales, the more money you get, but you lose those players. And because because most of your domestic games are played in the international window, it just everything's against you. The balance is totally wrong. Uh, I hope that that makes a bit of sense. And yeah, I just think that the game has been totally sort of undervalued and neglected, really, um, in in this country. And um, yeah, and I, I just think things things need to change. And um, yeah, it's down down to finances, but the finances are down to the way way that the double IU and and you know the, the professional rugby agreement is is structured. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. Right, we are going to turn our attention in the second half to Wales versus England with a potential triple crown on the line for Wales. Uh, well, it is on the line, and we're going to have a look at that after this very very quick break. Right, time to look at international rugby now then, Steph. And um, I mean, I really didn't see Wales being in this position after uh, after two games. Um, but I want to start by uh, by addressing this one. This is a uh, a question from Diego Von Albatross. Uh, and it's directed at, uh, at myself, I think Murph and, uh, and Dan Killick saying, can you all please cheer up? We're two from two going for a triple crown, nearly full fit squad. Uh, and listening to you lot is like listening to a bunch of goths. Um, I definitely, you know, I appreciate I've probably been fairly downbeat on this. I think I think Dan has been a bit more uh, a bit more upbeat. Where do you stand on where uh, on where Wales have been after after two games? You know, is it just a bit of a bit of luck that uh, that they've you know they've had two players sent off in two games, or have you seen something in there to suggest that, that this is the building blocks for something uh, something much more positive? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, and I don't think we're going to be able to answer how good Wales are until after the England game. Um, I think that's the key game. Prior to the tournament, you know, I think if somebody had offered you, Wales would be playing England for the Triple Crown, they'd beat Ireland, they'd be the best Scotland team in years away from home. I'm sure you would have ripped their arm off for that, um, regardless of how they won the game. So I think, I think, I think that in the Autumn Nations Cup, they were a very soft team. Um, Pivak has said whether it's an excuse or not. He said they use that to blood players. Um, but I think uh, Gethin Jenkins has been a really key appointment. I think the, the reason, apart from the red cards, of course, the reason that they won the game, the first two games, was through sheer bloody mindedness. That that determination, that that toughness, that defensive prowess um, that was there in the Gatland era returned to an extent. I think. Um, they 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 really 
they turned they were a tough team again. They were a tough team to break down. In terms of the you know, Pivac is still under a lot of pressure. You know, got people pointing the finger saying, "Oh, Scotland were cheated out of it." This and that, or the only one because Ireland were down down a man. You talk to any professional player, and they will tell you that losing a back rower doesn't actually make that much difference. It's like in football, right? You get a man red carded, right, and you're playing against ten men. It's not necessarily going to be easier because the other team is going to pack a bus in front of defence and they're going to simplify their game. And it's exactly the same when a player has a red card in rugby. You know, if you lose a back, different ball game. Totally different ball game. It's not ideal when you lose a forward, right? You speak to any pro, every pro player I've spoken to have said you lose a back rower doesn't make as much of a difference as the as the backs because you can simplify your game. Um, so I think I don't really buy the red card excuse. It, it, it obviously was a blow to to the to Ireland and Scotland, but I personally think Wales would have beaten Ireland anyway. I, th- I think they they were the better team personally. I know Ireland um, their pack was on top, but. You, you look at Wales, right? They, they didn't have enough territory. They didn't have much territory in possession, but they turned they turned their uh, their pressure into points. Uh, I don't want to compare them to the All Blacks because they're nowhere near that level, but that's what the All Blacks do. When they were successful, they always were second best in territory and possession. But in terms of when they were in that red zone, they were the best in the world, and that's why they were winning games. Wales are nowhere near that level, but they, you can sort of see what they're trying to do in attack. There have been periods of both games where they've been terrible, but they, that bloody mindedness has returned. And in terms of um, their attacking pattern, which is the reason Pivac and Jones were brought in in the first place, they outscored um, they outscored a very good Scotland team. Or was it four tries to three? Uh, and they also scored, you know, two chances scored against uh, against Ireland. So there are positives. I think in terms of England, I think they're going to have to be better to beat England because I don't think they've got the power to defend. Uh, what England will throw their way. But um, in terms of Wales, you look at it and you say, have they improved since the Autumn Nations Cup? Absolutely. Have they improved enough to win a Grand Slam? No. But, you know, they could improve further. So um, I think um, this England game will be, will tell us where they are because I would expect England to be uh, a lot better than they were in the first two games. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, as... As you'd have heard from there, I've, I, yeah, there's there's bloody mindedness. I, I definitely agree with that. I think defensively, there's there's been a it's been a lot more resolute. But I, you know, I I I would disagree on those points. I don't think we'd have won either of those games against fifteen men. Um, and I, I appreciate what you're saying. Obviously, that's you know it's based on evidence of you chatting to um, chatting to pros who know a hell of a lot more of the game than than I do. But I would, you know, I just think that like you say there there comes a point when you're in the red zone that having an extra man is going to help. You know, it's simple. And I know I know it's different. It's a lot more... Yeah, if it's a back you've lost, then it's a lot easier because you're, you're automatically going to have an overlap. But you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to work out a way of um, of breaking down a, of breaking down a 14-man side. Now, again, if it's for 15 minutes, I can see that. But, you know, we, but you, we see all the time, you know, when sides get down to 14 for for sin binning you know what's the what's the average points conceded it's whatever it is seven to ten seven to ten points um you know i just, I just think that, that numerically it, it that has to take its toll and when you've lost someone when the island game for 65 minutes um that's going to take its toll that's going to take its toll physically uh the scotland game yeah was was you know was, was probably a bit closer but today for me that's what's made the difference however what i will say 
is the acid test is 100% next week. And if they turn out and they, they out, outwit England, because let's be honest, it's not going to happen. Surely it won't happen the third week on the spin. And if it does, if it does happen and they, beat, uh, and they beat England, then do you know what? It doesn't matter because that then is the, is the game that you built on it. And even if you've had a, a little bit of luck or, you know, or a, I guess a, a factor that, that perhaps wasn't within your control, if you use it and go on and, and, and build on the positives that you had in those games and, and beat England and win a triple crown, then, you know, that is, uh, that's something very, very difficult again. But for me, the acid test as to where Wales really are comes this weekend. Yeah, definitely. One thing I say about the red cards, mind, is in both games, Ireland and Scotland, Wales were in the ascendancy when it was 15 against 15. So I don't really know what happened when they went down to, to 14, but that's, that's by the by. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think when you look at England, Scotland were fantastic at, at Twickenham, but England were as bad as Scotland were good. They weren't good against Italy either. So on the face of it, you think Wales have a good chance, but you do expect England to get better, don't you? you you'd expect them to to finish the championship strongly. There's just too much power. There's too much. There's too much class in in their team, and for that, I think they I think they're slight favourites to beat Wales. Um, but Wales can get better as well. Wales will be stronger. They're being reinforced by Josh Navidi. Um, Johnny Williams will be back. He's out of form, but you know, form temporary class is permanent. Jonathan Davis will be back. North will be back. Um, Josh Adams will be back. So there's a lot of of quality to come in for Wales. But I I, I agree with you. You know, you you can point at Wales and say they were lucky with the red cards and there were moments in those games where. Well, there were large periods of the games where they didn't play well at all. So um, I think this, if they beat England, they win the Triple Crown. I think you, you've got to give them respect, haven't you? Um, so this this is the acid test. And the pressure's on. There's no pressure. that It's always pressure. But nobody expected them to win the first two games. People are starting. They're still critics, but they're starting to have a bit of hope that they can do England. So um, this, this is a big test for them, I think. Yeah, let's hone in on that England game. And we've had uh, had a question in here from Alan Howley, which simply says, what areas can Wales put uh, put pressure on England? You've mentioned there the, the power that England have that, you know, we, I mean, they've been playing 10-man rugby for a long time, but it's uh, what what are those potential areas of, of weakness that, um, that Wales can exploit on Saturday? Yeah, well, we, we know what's coming with England. We know it's... it's Route one stuff is is the power, and Wales um, were second best head to possession in the first two games. I don't I don't think they can afford to do that and beat England because they're they're a lot more powerful than Ireland and Scotland. But I think the positive thing for Wales, as I said, was they they were a lot more creative, ball in hand. They looked a lot more dangerous. I know Reece Armis' try was was individual, brilliance, but they, they're not. They're still a work in progress, but you can see where they're going in attack. It's the first time you can see their their game plans develop with ball in hand, and I think they look a lot more dangerous. And I think out wide, I think Wales, you know, there is scope for Wales to hurt England because there's a lot more pace in this Wales team as resummit there as well. If Josh Adams comes back as well. That's that's pace for you. Selection is going to be key, isn't it? Um, it's, you know, it's all well and good saying that you know you've got a lot of depth. But sometimes that can be a curse as well because, you know, if you only have a select band of players to play from, you can simplify a game. But he's got to get his selection right. Um, 
what halfbacks does he pick? Does Hala Holo play? Does he go route one with Johnny Williams? What what happens with North? Does Foxy come back in despite being out of form? So it's going to come whether they win the game or not. It's going to come down to selection, I think. But I think out wide Wales are, are pretty good, and I also think the the breakdown as well. Josh Navidi will be will be crucial for Wales. Um, Farletau is getting somewhere back to his best. He'll need a big game. Um, I think Vonnie Paul has been quite poor for England as well. Um, but the set piece line out's got to be as good as it was against Scotland. Scrum's got to be solid and they've got to be good at the breakdown. And, and when they get opportunities, they, they've got to take them. But I think this is a real test of Wayne Pivak's coaching credentials because international rugby is about getting your selection right. And uh, it's got some big headaches uh, this week, I think. It does. And this, these are big, big calls, like you say, because if he ultimately feels that that John Fox is is not playing to to the standard that you know that, well we, he's not playing to the standard we know he's, he's capable no, no, yeah. and and he's got to make that call this week and go right do you know what George North was showing some really good signs uh, particularly you know particularly against Ireland I thought he was he was, he was very very good and he obviously fancies North as an outside centre he's picked him there a couple of times and not just and not just filling in I think his first his first Six Nations game he picked North at, um, outside centre and he had to he had to move to the wing after injury. And so he obviously fancies that. And if he really believes it, these are the big calls he's got to say and go, right, do you know what? North's in form. He's back from injury. John Fox is coming back after another injury and having not played particularly well. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the right decision, but these are the ones that he's got to make. And again, having that conversation with a guy who's been, you know, uh, for large chunks of his career, one of, if not the best 13 in the world, uh, that, that's a difficult conversation to have. Likewise, if a halfbacks, he looks at it and says, you know, the, the style of rugby I want to play, Callum Sheedy is, is better suited at doing that than, than Dan Bigger. Then he's got to turn around to a player of, of Dan Bigger's quality uh, and explain it and keep him on side and have him, you know, and have him there raring to go to come off the bench and close games out. So, I mean, the, you're right. This is what being an international head coach is all about, is making these big calls and making them work. Because I think we've seen lots of, good individual performances. Like you said, Toby played well. Tiprick was very good against Scotland. I mean, Navidi, I would I would say, is hands down Wales' most important player right now. And I include yeah. Alan Wynn and everyone in that. Uh, you know, Wynn Jones is is one of the most improved players in world rugby. I think he's, he looks, you know, more than international class. But he's going on the Lions tour. If I think he is, absolutely. Yeah. And, well, if there is a tour. Um, but it's, you know, it's now about getting the selection right that gels that can go out and beat a, and beat a side like England who, uh, you know, like we say, have stuttered and in theory are there for the taking. You know, it's now building on those first two games, get that selection right, get the game plan right, get out there and deliver. So it's it's a big, big, a big, big task. And that's why for me, this this whole game is, is the acid test. But you're right, so much of that is selection. It's going to, it's going to, what's interesting as well is, um, you know, when you, when you watched England in the first two games, they're quite um, vulnerable in the air, aren't they? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Elliot um, Elliot Daly, um, but he's, he's not. He's had, he's had nightmares at 15 under the high no, ball. You know, World Cup final. Best. The World Cup final was, you know, kind of showed it. He's under the high ball is not his best. Is not his best suit, and therefore picking him at 15 exposes that. And um, and and I do think that yeah, he's you're right. He's he's looked vulnerable there. I mean, Johnny May in the Scotland game had a had a stinker. I think that was probably just a one off. But you're mm-hmm. right. They they do look vulnerable under it. And do you do you, if you're Pivak, do you go back to a Warren Ball style of rugby, 
and revert to type a little bit. So you you pick Davis and Bigger at halfback. Johnny Williams is close in style to Roberts and uh, Hardly Parks because he's so physical and direct, a bit more pace maybe. And you bring Adams in on the wing and, and you stick with, if he's fit, you stick with half penny. Um, you know, or do you think, right, we're going to run these off of their feet. I'm going to stick to what got me the job in the first place. And I pick Hallahall or 12, um, Sheedy at 10. Um, not convinced with Hardy at nine. I'd probably stick with Davis and 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 maybe even Liam at full back. Um, well, what do you do? Do you be a bit more, you know, do you revert to type, be a bit risk, risk averse and maybe open up last 20 or do you go from the off Pro 12 2017 final style or close to it? And um, attack them from the off. I mean, what? How? How do you play this? How do you? How do you play this tactically? I I think you have to stick to you know if he really wants to build a um, yeah to build a, a side that's that's capable of playing a more expansive game of rugby the the style that we saw at Scarlets then I think he does have to pick the pick the players to do it. But you're right, it's fascinating because England's weaknesses, like you say, are under the high ball. And with that in mind, you go, right, well, we'll have Dan Bigger, boot the ball high, chase it, try and put pressure under them there. Um, I don't know. I, I would think that he would be very, very tempted because, because of how poor the halfbacks were in the first 50 minutes against Scotland. I think he'd be tempted to pick Sheedy. Um, I haven't seen the game today, but I know she, I think Sheedy, um, you know, in another, another eventful yeah, game for Bristol. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you have to you have to keep Rhysand on one wing because the guy is is on absolute fire. Um, I'm not sure Josh Adams gets back in at the moment. I think I'd be tempted to have Liam because he's just uh, you know we know on his day he's a world class player, and I think Halfpenny if he's fit picks himself at 15 still. Um, so I, I think the big one is at 10. I think that's what it will it will come down to because I think you could still pick Johnny Williams and and just so you've got that bit of go forward with Halaholo coming on 55 60 minutes um to to win you the game late on um yeah I think it, I think it's about 10 I think I think he'll go Johnny Williams at 12 with Halaholo on the bench I wouldn't be surprised if he went with Sheedy this time round I think that uh you know he he has made an impact off the bench I I still think you know it's it's a different it's a different kettle of fish starting at 10 particularly in in this test match but uh yeah um i think i would be tempted if i were him and and you know thankfully for everyone i'm not it's i would be tempted to to make those make those changes and go for a more aggressive uh aggressive expansive style what about yourself does selecting sheedy hinge on half benny's fitness for the goal kicking i say goal kicking sheedy's actually a very high percentage goal kick in the premiership but Test rugby is different. Um, does it depend on half penny? I mean, yeah, it does. I think it does. I, I'm not, you know, I don't think you could comfortably slot in. Not in, not in a game against England. You know, if this was Italy, uh, and again, no disrespect, you know, or yeah. um, I think you could, I think you could make that call. And I think against England, because if it does get into an arm wrestle and, and points are tight, even if you're playing well and you just, you know, you just don't quite convert those chances. And it comes down to penalties. You need you need a half penny or a bigger on the pitch to be able to to slot them. And um, I think it does. I think it does come down to that because it's yeah. He, he had a he missed he missed some um, some kickable kicks in that Scotland game. I think so. I, I think if we lost that game against Scotland, we'd be pointing the finger at him, wouldn't we? A little bit. Although bigger did did miss a couple as well. But his general play was excellent. But 
you know, it's it's a difficult one because I I, I think Bigger and Davis. I don't think they played well against Scotland. I think just after half time and Bigger missed touch. I honestly thought that was going to cost us the game because Scotland went back down the other end and it was a correct decision. But luckily they had a try disallowed. That that was really poor with Bigger missing touch. But you know, obviously it's a different game when you come on 50, 60 minutes, isn't it, than starting. And I just think Dan Bigger is a sort of player when he's under pressure, when his back is against the wall, that's when he's at his best. And I just think Pivak would probably stick with Bigger and then bring Sheedy, probably Kieran Hardy, Kieran Hardy on, um, you know, 55 minutes hour mark. Um, I think he'd stick with Johnny Williams, although I thought Harla Holler was really good against Scotland. Um, you look at Rhys Amit's try, um, you know, his his um his second try, and that was a cracking pass from Harlow Hall, who drew in two defenders just to give him enough space. Uh, you know, he's really good in defence, played a part in in uh, Sanjay's try as well. So he was good, didn't he? He was really good. And I think uh, he offers excellent, a excellent uh, performance. Yeah, but but John, Johnny Williams is I think he's not he's not um cemented his place as such because he's had a few injuries and a run of games but unlike Tompkins Williams Williams is um, he's the glue as well his basics are a bit better um, so I think I, I, I think he'd probably stick with Williams if he's fit and he's expected to be fit um, so I think he'll he'll go with the tried and tested but I think what Scotland game showed is that he's not afraid to make um to, to haul the so-called senior players off and put youngsters, throw youngsters into the fray if he needs to. But I think he'll start with the tried and tested and then bring um bring the you know Sheedy and Hardy on. But one one selection, I, I think Navid will come straight back in. One selection I'd like to see as well. You look at the bench, I'd like to see Jake Ball back in as well. I, I haven't really been convinced of Will Rowlands, if I'm being honest. Jake Ball's made made for playing England, really aggressive player, really physical player. I'd like to see him there. It'll be his last three games playing for Wales, so he's just going to empty the tank. And I also want to see both of them there as well. I didn't think Wainwright was great against Scotland. I think he's, he's built to form, and I thought both of them had a big he impact. He's out of form, I think, uh, Aaron Wainwright. He's not hit the heights that he hit in 2018-19 <coughs> since it happened. And, you know, he looked he looked absolutely comfortable at test match level and, and looked, you know, pretty fearless at those points. But it's, you know... He's, he's still at a young point in his career, and you, and you do have dips in form. But I think the thing is, is when you've got when you've got you know strength and depth and, and exciting players in the back row, that you know you you again they're the, they're the decisions you have to make. You know, it's, it's very very difficult to have to try and play your way back into form in Test rugby. You know, it's it's not the it's not the place to to be doing that. You'd much rather be doing it in the Pro 14. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Wainwright's out of form. I've not yet seen it from, from Will Rowlands at international level. Again, I know Wasps, Wasps fans, you know, have, have been, um, you know, singing his praises and obviously, he's, you know, he's coming to the Dragons next year, but I don't think he's put it together in a, in a Wales shirt um, and a Wales shirt just yet. What I would say while we're talking about the locks, though, is I think Adam Beard thoroughly deserved his recall and has made a big difference. I think he's, uh, you know, just a bit more weight, a bit more bulk, defend, you know, line out wise. I think it's it has helped after that first one went awry at the Scotland game, but also defensively. So I think you know he's put in um he's put in a good shift. And yeah, I mean it's 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 a fascinating it's a fascinating selection. But I agree. I, I think certainly the back row one I would be tempted to go for someone like Botham who is yeah is is much more informed than Wayne Wright and 
you know, he's he's a, he is an X factor player. Both of them, when he gets, you know, when he can um, when he can have that impact uh, on a game, you know, I, I think he's he's a good option to to bring off the bench. Which actually leads us nicely onto a question that we've uh, that we've had in with regards to Wales's back row, and uh, I'm just trying to find out who this came from. <laughs> Which clearly I can't do scrolling through my Twitter feed. Um, but essentially, who are that? You know, who would Wales pick if everyone was fit? All right, it's from Patrick. It was um, yeah. So big if if everyone was fit. Who would be the back row choices in the Wales in the um, in the Wales twenty three? So that's you know if that's including absolutely everyone. You know, you see Ellis Jenkins came back this weekend. You've got you know, you've got um, players like Jack Morgan uh, getting a you know had a, another outstanding performance with Scarlets on Saturday. Oh, he's the man. He's the man, Jack Morgan. He's the best potentially. I think. Um, oh, he's, yeah. I, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And again, we've seen some of that. You know the the form against Bath. I, I I say this a lot, but I think because the Pro 14 is so poor that you need to see European yeah. rugby to to start to get a bit of a gauge, or at least you know if someone does it against Leinster away, you you get a pretty good indication of what they're like. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think I think Jack Morgan is you know is a, a proper star in the making there. Um, everything, ball in hand, over the ball, the works. Um, mm. But I mean, there's there's so many there are so many options when everyone's so asking the the strongest back row, the strongest back row. So your back row three, and then uh, and then one on the bench if uh, if everyone is fit. Yes, strong as now. I think Farlett's how is clearly the eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that he's nailed on. Oh, it's, it's tough. It's... I think Navid. I think Navidi. I think Navidi's still at six. Yeah. And, and we're talking everybody fully fit. Everyone. Ellis Jenkins is Sam. Um, I think so. Yeah, I, he looked like he bulked up actually. Ellis Jenkins. He looked. Mm. Um, he looked very. Different. Maybe it's just because he's aged two years since we've since we've seen him play rugby or two and a half years. But and who who's the bench player? Well, if you got that, so I mean, in that scenario, you've got Tipperick probably isn't it? I think probably Tipperick because you've got you know Ellis Jenkins out and out over the ball. You know mini Warburton style player uh, and a great athlete with it. Navidi's the full package. He's super strong. He offers you over the ball. He can carry. And then Toby's the, is the world-class A. I think then you have Tiprick on the bench. If things, uh, you know, if things start to open up a bit and, you know, and he's, he's able to, to influence the game in the, um, in the last 20 or whatever. But I mean, there are some amazing options in there. If everyone's fit, you know, we're talking about a player like, like both them and, um, and Shane Lewis Hughes and these players Ross Moriarty as well Moriarty, yeah. you know I don't think I don't think you'd get close you know you've got um, some absolutely incredible um, some incredible uh, options there I'm really you know I know I say this a lot but I'm really gutted that Ollie Griffiths has got has got injured again because I do think you know he is uh, he plays to an intensity that that is, that is well beyond that level I think he could get if he was fully fit he'd get in much better sides than the than the dragons. Um, oh yeah, um, you know, and I think he's comfortably a, a, an international player, but sadly, he just cannot seem to stay fit for long enough. But it, yeah, there are amazing options. But yeah, I, again, in the long <coughs> run, I, I, Jack Morgan is a is another X factor player. Yeah. I, I'd agree with you. Ollie Griffiths. Looking at, he's probably a big call, but he's the best player I've seen play for Wales at under twenties level. Wasn't there a Six Nations years ago where he won man the match in every game or, or close to it? 
He was just phenomenal, and he, he's got he's got everything needed to not just be like an international, sorry, international player, but a world class player. But he just can't just can't string more than three games together, can he? So you can't really. It's almost pointless talking about him until he proves that he can play ten games on the trot. But he's got it, definitely. I think potentially Jack Morgan is the best. But I think that the problem for Wales is they've got world class eight in Farrell Town. You know, they've got Moriarty's a six, but he, he can play well at eight. You know, Navidi can play well at eight, but they're not proper eights. And we were hoping Sam Moore would be the answer, but he's not. In He's very young, obviously, but injuries have caught up with him. He's not done anything at Cardiff yet. The, gl- the glimpses I have seen, I've been really impressed. He, he carries yeah. hard, but again, he's, he, he just has barely played any rugby. But what we need to see, the guy we need to see come through is Carwin Tweepelotu. Um, again, you know, there's always going to be hype because, you know, of his of his family background and whatnot, and he's related to Vunipolas and Fala Taus. There's always going to be that hype. But speaking to people in the know, they say that he's, he's just a freak genetically and he's a really good rugby brain and he's got size, he's a great carrier. But obviously, the, the biggest impact that this pandemic, apart from financial, that this pandemic has had on rugby is that, you know, I'm asking people involved in the regions, you know, what do you think of this 18-year-old player, 19-year-old player? And they're saying, I don't know how good he is because he hasn't played a game in a year. That's a big problem. You know, I'm not a big fan of the Premiership in terms of developing the next generation of players. I think the Premiership or the, the Welsh Premiership should be top of the community game, not in the pro game. I think the Pro 14 are, um, you know, they're keen on a British, Irish and Italian under-23 league with five players over that age. So hopefully that'll happen. That'll be great. But as it stands, you know, we just don't know because these players aren't playing. Um, the Welsh regions have got um, plans to send some of their best young players to play in the Championship on loan, which I think is a great idea. But yeah, th- I think this pandemic, I've gone off topic here, but I think this pandemic is, you know, you talk about, people ask me, oh, what do you think about this an 18-year-old prop or this 19-year-old prop who played for Wales at 20s last year? And I'm like, honestly, don't know, because I'm asking people involved in the regions and they're like, yeah, he was great before, but he hasn't played for a year. And then players who were injured come into the pandemic, some of them played for 18 months or more. And it's, that is worrying, because... At that age, you need rugby more than than at any other age. So, I think in terms of the effects of this pandemic, I think that's that's going to be a pretty um, pretty acute one. I would have thought. Yeah, it's absolutely right up there. But like you say, lots of uh, lots of talent in there, both experienced and uh, and young talent in the back row. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will feed into some other positions as well. Right, Steph, we're running out of time, so I am going to trouble you for a prediction for next weekend, Wales versus England. I can see the cogs turning in your head. England by three. Yeah, I'm going to go... I mean, I've been the voice of Dean throughout the Six Nations and have been wrong so far, so let's hope it's some kind of of reverse luck because I'm going to go England by seven on this one, I think. I think they'll just have a bit too much power. But um, yeah, with any luck, I will be wrong. But again, we do yeah, not that's, have... Um, that's we what I went for, the reverse luck. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm on the fence. But I just think England got a big performance in them, but you know, I hope I'm wrong. So. Yeah, I, you know what? I think it's, again, it's, you know, we say this almost every week, but it is such a shame that there's, there's no crowds in there because I think regardless of what, um, you know, regardless of how Wales have played... 
if England turn up and there's a triple crown on the line and you've got a packed Millennium Stadium, it's a different, it's just a complete, completely different makeup to the game than rattling around the place, um, you know, with only the coaching staff in there. And it's a big, um, it's, it's a big, big shame on, on weekends like this. But, you know, you just got to hope that later on in the year, we're in a position where, yeah, where we're not talking about these things anymore, because that is, the, you know, that's a, you know, it's just, a, it's not the same, is it? The Six Nations without, uh, without the, the fans in there. I know it's a, a cliche, but it is what, it is what makes the, the competition so special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it could be worse. We could have no rugby, couldn't we? Yeah, so um, absolutely. that's what I'm uh, holding on to. But yeah, certainly it's, um, it's nowhere near as good without the uh, park stadiums. While I remember, Steph, this was something that, that uh, came to mind in no ways related to Six Nations. But this Rainbow Cup thing that's supposedly going ahead, again, I saw Pro for, uh, the Premier Sports uh, had a, you know, like a, a trailer for it um, during some of the games over the weekend. That, this can't, that's not going to happen, is it? Surely. Like, I mean, the, the, the Pro 14 season ends in March. If that, if that doesn't go ahead, the Rainbow Cup, what, what happens? Do we just play another, you know, another Pro 14 season? Well, uh, I've been... I've been chasing that answer for about a month now and nobody's got one. Um, I think in terms of the Rainbow Cup, it, it, it's crucial. But what, what, what the um, the answer I keep getting is that it's crucial financially because it means that the South African side of the TV deal in terms of money is activated and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I think they get a bit more because obviously there's, there's more teams in there. But um, the latest um, rumour is that uh, the games will be played in one country. They can't play it in South Africa, for obvious reasons, that it'll either be played in Dublin or, as outrageous as it says, Dubai, apparently. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I know, it's. I can see you laughing there. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, just the reaction I had. But, but apparently, that, that there's truth in it. So, um, it, it's apparently crucial that it does go ahead for financial reasons. So my guess is it'll go ahead somewhere behind closed doors, but it won't be in South Africa. But um, I suppose time will tell. But if it doesn't, what happens? Does the, does the Pro 14 just carry on? I don't know. That's yeah, all very interesting. It is, yeah. Go well, yeah. We'll see. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll try and uh, keep everyone up to date with all of these things as they uh, as they change. Steph's been fantastic chatting to you again. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, a quick thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some top quality coffee in, you can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. And if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, that would be massively appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Podcast Network.